0: You're listening to the Chill Spot Podcast, a safe spot for people of color to discuss topics that affect our mental health and identity. We'll explore strategies to support mental wellness, examine the ways in which various things impact our mental health, and process how to manage it all. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength, Your hosts work in the mental health field, varying in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. All righty. Welcome to The Chill Spot. I'm your host, Jared Morgan.
1: And this is Dr. Alan Lipscomb. Welcome.
0: And today we're going to be talking about mental health. Um, We wanted to discuss mental health because there, well, one, we've been in a pandemic, and we've been in in shelter-in-place and uh, we know that a lot of people are experiencing some issues um, having to sit with themselves and dealing with some anxiety and possibly depression uh, and substance abuse really trying to figure out what's going on um, and dealing with just a whole bunch of unknown and then we also just want to tap into and discuss what mental health and what that looks like for people of color. And I thought it would be a great idea to have Dr. Lipscomb here, since he's worked with uh, males of color for quite some time uh, dealing with uh, mental health and mental illness and specifically with uh, black male grief. But um, could you maybe tell us really what the difference is between mental health and mental illness. I think a lot of the times people get those two things confused.
1: Sure. <clears throat> First, thank you for putting this together. Thank you for um, having me on this and, and with you. Um, and, and you're right, since the safer at home orders and you know, they're slowly starting to, to lift, um, this is May 25th, uh, Memorial Day, so what we've been seeing is the impact of it. And when we think about mental health and mental illness, <clears throat> mental health, I think of it as the balance between your psychological, your emotional, your physical and your environmental health. How those come together, right? How those interact makes your mental health. And so when we look at assessing for our overall mental health We're looking at psychological, emotional, biological, physiological and environmental factors that impact your mental health. On the other end of that is the impact of those different factors that I just outlined um, if we're seeing functional impairments. So if your psychological and your emotional and your physical, your environmental, et cetera, is impacted, in some way and it's impeding upon how you move daily and that's impacting your psychological health and your emotional health then that is the the illness piece the severity level of it the uh, acuity level of it the chronicity of it of of how one is functioning giving those different factors across their environment so we think about severe mental illnesses right schizophrenia bipolar etc those are more severe uh, mental illnesses. So again, when we're understanding mental health and mental illness, mental health is just the overall looking at those factors, psychological, emotional, physical, environmental, and then mental illness is the severity of how those factors are coming together or not coming together based on uh, the individual's functioning.
0: Right, so I like how you put that because when when I think about it, it's it's when you compare it to your your body, you know, you have these different functions of your body that work together, and yes. when you have a chronic illness or a physical injury, then you know, uh, an athletic body or if a really functioning body isn't quite there. Yes. Um, and it's the same thing, and and that's why I think of you know going. To counseling or therapy on a regular basis, or you know, having a a yearly schedule where you you know you try to meet with someone a couple of times a year, well, maybe a few times a year, it is it's like going to the gym but for your brain, and it's Correct. just kind of working out those areas and um, making sure that um, you know, like when I need to work my biceps out. Uh, that's just one part of my body. Uh, so when I go to therapy, you know, I'm just, you know, focusing on this one issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, in the the mental health field is the only field where we cannot get away with not assessing for those different factors, right? Mm-hmm. So if I go to the dentist, right? If I go to uh, a physical therapist, they're not assessing for the psychological, the emotional, right, right. <clears throat> and so, mental health is the only discipline or profession where we have to look at all those factors because all of those factors can impact a person's overall mental health and wellness.
0: Exactly, and what are um, do you think are some kind of good techniques that an individual can use? Um, when sitting alone, like during this uh, safe at home or shelter in place that you know, they can ensure that they're um, taking care of their mental health?
1: Sure. I think one, and this is the biggest one, I think this is what brings about a lot of emotions, is being honest with what they are feeling as it relates to what we are going through and have been going through and will continue to go through as we come out on the other side of this pandemic. And what I mean by that is this is a loss experience. We're all experiencing loss by definition, right? Grief is um, a change to a familiar pattern of behavior or situation, right? This has been a significant change in a familiar pattern our daily living what we've been how we've been operating what we do day to day has shifted so i think the first thing one needs to do is acknowledge that i'm experiencing loss i'm experiencing a shame uh, a change excuse me in my daily living and what i was accustomed to and used to and then with that accepting that those feelings and then look at how do I then want to utilize this time to stay balanced mentally? What can I do? And this is where I believe mindfulness practices, uh, prayer, because uh, I know folks practice mindfulness through prayer, um, can be helpful for folks and really taking in what they're experiencing in the moment, trying not to judge it, trying not to go future oriented. I know that's when I start shifting in my mood is when I start thinking about the future. Like how long, when is this going to lift and blah, blah, blah. So I have to bring it back to the here and now, right? into right. the present moment and just control what I can control and release what I cannot control. And a lot of the work that I've been doing with my, uh, my practice and my mental health private practice work with clients is moving it from self-critique to productive self-talk. So am I getting up in the morning? Am I bathing? Am I making myself meals? Am I going out for a walk, right? So moving into productive self-talk to help balance one's mental health because it can get very clouded, it can get very dark, and it can happen very quickly. And the longer we're in this, unfortunately, the the, the darker and deeper it can go for many folks. We're only at the beginning yeah. At the, the, the genesis of the impact psychologically that this is having on folks and this is globally
0: absolutely absolutely um especially when you see numbers like a uh, hundred thousand dead um up to this weekend just here in the united states alone
1: yeah i think uh, the, the that was from the new york times right didn't they yeah. post yeah uh yeah, yeah. publish mm-hmm. the names and, and that's sobering yeah, very. think about it and when you see it and when you read all those names and so the impact that that has
0: <clears throat> yeah and all those all these people out there um these aren't faceless individuals that pass uh, that, was, that was the problem it's i saw uh, very early on in italy when um, before it hit here that people were saying don't think of it just taking away old people, you know, these are our mothers, our grandparents. And so we're going to see people who, you know, quickly lost
1: parents. Yeah. And I think one of the things going back to the question around what can people do to balance, you know, oftentimes when we start the new year, people set new year's resolutions, new year, new me, et cetera one of the, the ways to look at this time and this is very much strength-based approach in looking at this is looking at how do i use this time in reflection how do i use this time to set goals for myself and really think about how i want to continue to move based on how i've moved in the past right what do i want to change what do i want to do different <clears throat> because this is also going to help folks evolve and grow individually. And I think as a collective, um, we are going to grow from this. So we also have to look at resiliency and and growth from
0: this. Yeah, it's funny you say that Uh, this is what has it been, 19 years since we all kind of came together after 9-11? Um, Correct. You're, you're seeing it again. People, I just saw a video on social media in Staten Island. These people were cussing out and essentially pushed this this person out of, um, out of a grocery store who wasn't wearing a mask um, Yeah. all these others. So it, it, it kind of it reunites a whole bunch of people so that we aren't you know, like, sure. these individuals just walking around in these grocery stores
1: yeah and it's and it's in your face in a different way than 9 11 if you weren't in new york city yeah. then in 01 whereas here even though i can turn off my television or get off my phone i still have to go out right and, and go to the grocery store and so I, i'm reminded of what i could try to escape from by seeing the mask, by seeing the, the decals on the floor and on the walls, like right. physical distancing, social distancing, etc. And so you can't escape it. And I think that's why we're seeing too, and I know you didn't ask me this, but that's why we're seeing a lot of cognitive dissonance
0: Yeah.
1: around how much can people psychologically take before they break. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're seeing too, people can go about 60 days. And then after that, things start to shift. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this is very much a, a, a social psychological study that we're in. Yes. Yeah. Hey, we're all studying this, especially social scientists. Uh, we're looking at this, and what we're finding and what we're seeing is that about sixty days is when people start itching.
0: Yeah, you're saying. I mean, eating. you're saying you're saying it in you know the beaches and uh, these different the pools, and they just they can't handle it. Um. To go back to something that you just said a little earlier that I find really important is that uh, you, you tapped a little bit into um, just a bit of self disclosure there, which is one of my favorite things uh, when, when working with patients. Um, is you talked about your own mental yeah. health and all of this and what that's done to you. Yeah. And I, I think about that a lot too because one of the first things I thought about in that first week or right before we came into shelter in place because uh, I still was at work because my work was um, in public health and we were um, meeting with congressional staff, letting them know you know, the status of what was happening here on the ground with uh, community clinics. And I just, I had this moment of like panic attack, like, wow, this this is it. This is like what we talk about in this field a lot and like it's here. And we don't even we don't even know what to do as a community, let alone uh, an individual. And um, I felt like I had all the resources in the world to me, it, with the exception of a, a cure to be immune to this. And I panicked. I you know for that first week, and I could only imagine for those who didn't have the privilege to you know one have this kind of mental well-being um and practicing that throughout my life but then also the support around me um knowledge of what was going on based because of my work and um you know a supportive family so i i immediately started thinking of all those out there who were essentially very alone in all of this Mm -hmm. and and um i think it's really comforting Uh, to hear when uh, a professional like yourself um, also says that like, I deal with the anxiety or I have to control not thinking too hard that the future because it's a human thing to- For sure. Just kind of get lost and really go into the darkness really quickly.
1: Yeah, you know, it's true. When it first happened, the unknown is what was really scary right? Because they didn't know anything. You didn't know how you could get this. And so that's the part that was alarming and and also sobering. So all the stuff you learn and you practice, you kind of throw that out the window because you need to survive this pandemic. And so (laughs) you're so attentive, you're reading, you're watching, because you want as much information about this to help you understand what you're up against. And so that's that survival right? It's, it's, our, it's our instincts. And, and that flight, fight, or freeze mm-hmm. um, reactions to what's happening. And so that's what was unsettling for me. And for me, it was at night mm. when I was going to sleep. That's when my mind tends to race. That's when I quiet things and I don't have a lot going on. So my thoughts were thinking about the future. Well, how long? It been? What is this going to look like? Oh, blah. Right, and right. to be honest, it wasn't being in the home. Like, I'm okay with that. I, I'm enjoying being in the house. Like I'm an introvert, so this this is perfect for me. Right. <clears throat> but it was not knowing, oh, yeah. not knowing how you can get this, when it's going to come, who has it, uh, what impact it's going to have on you and your community, etc. Like that's the piece that became really
0: scary. Right, right, and and family. Being able to take care of your family—that—that's yeah. really.
1: Which I felt better, weirdly enough, that we were all together in the home. Like that eased a lot of my anxiety because we're mm-hmm. all here. Nobody mm-hmm. has to go anywhere besides, you know, you know, stocking up, getting food and stuff like that. But other than that, we're all here, so I don't have to worry what you're right. being exposed to, where you're at, traveling, whatever. We're all here
0: in, in, in the home. Right one of the biggest things that got me at the beginning was that when the news was, was coming out of China and then Italy, I was like, anybody talking about the kids? What about the kids that I was thinking about my daughter? Like that is, that, that's what put me in that place of absolute yeah. fear, of not being able to protect her. And um, yeah. it, there was such a relief when it was like, it wasn't affecting the kids as much. Um, but I really thought about it because I, I, growing up myself without, um, without a father, I think I over try to overcompensate and be very active and, and there emotionally and physically for my daughter. And um, I think this put into perspective, you know, it, it really challenged that whole, you know, purpose uh, kind of of my life and being a father. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it all has to do with being uh, a male of color. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of bring it back to that, what, with everything you've been talking about and seeing how this, this is how this pandemic and this shelter in place has affected uh, us as a people, how, what do you think it's done particularly to people of color since we seem to always be negatively affected or, um, disproportionately affected yeah. by things anytime anything happens we're a lot more disproportionately affected than um our caucasian counterparts
1: mm-hmm. I, I think for for many of us that wasn't surprising right but for many of us we weren't surprised to find out that while also it being alarming right. like it's 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 that thing like here we go again Right. It's one of those things when we're being harassed, targeted, followed, et cetera. Like we're never surprised that it's happening to us for the most part, generally speaking, especially for those who have uh, years of experience. Right. Living. Um, But you never want it to happen. So that's that sighing. That's that. Here we go. Et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Um, That's upsetting and frustrating. And that brings on a litany of emotions and feelings that that we feel um, as people of color. And I think it also wakes us up in a different way that we need to move in a way that keeps us safe and keep our community and our people and our family and our kinship safe. <clears throat> because sometimes for, um, for folks who are, often disproportionately exposed and, and, and deal with health disparities, et cetera, sometimes we need to see the numbers yeah. so we can get, you know, our family on board on what's happening, et cetera. But I think under that, because for, for a minute, at the beginning of this, there was this myth going around that black folk, you know, wasn't going to get this. Right. Right. And so, I think for a minute, folks were still, you know our people were still moving in communities in ways that um, wasn't safe. Um, but we are social groups, right? We are a group who likes community and fellowship. And so right. part of seeing that in, in those numbers really woke us up and we had to shift and change how we moved and how we came together um, in, in our communities.
0: Yeah, exactly. And my biggest fear was uh, that so many of us live in poverty Um, and what that would be like being sheltering in place when you aren't in a comfortable home or um, there's a lot of uh, dysfunction within the home. What would that do to people and could they last those 60 days because when when you said 60 days the first thing i'm thinking of is yeah. you know generally a, a white family doing a study on them um, without all these different independent factors coming in or variables coming into their household like they do in, in households of people of color yeah yeah
1: definitely those factors you made me think about you said they don't have a home or place to to be at. and that and that's the concern too, because there's a shelter, there's a, a privilege in saying safer at home, shelter yeah. in place, right? And, and so where there's this assumption and this narrative that everybody has a home to be safe in, everybody right. wants to go to a shelter. Let's just break that down, right? Everyone's open to going to a shelter, has access to a shelter, um, to to be there, and so who are most vulnerable folks who don't have those spaces and places. I think about a trans youth of color, right? LGBTQ youth of color, transitional age youth, and not having places to shelter or places to quote unquote be safe at and safe in. And so what we're going to see, unfortunately, is the numbers referring to um, coronavirus, um, uh, those who are testing positive, it's gonna continue Within the Black and Brown community, beyond other right. communities, right? right? Who's going to get the um, sick the longest? Who's going to be struggling to pay the financial medical bills, etc.? Like so, the ramifications we're already starting to see, and it's going to continue mm-hmm. to play out.
0: Very much like uh, HIV,
1: for sure. And I mean, we have to say this: this is the, the elephant in the room is trust in medical and health facilities, right? So, but the conspiracy, too, around what the coronavirus is and what it's not, et cetera, also is around, too, and we have to be aware of that and how that plays out.
0: Exactly. Well, that, um, you know, that there's a lot to take in, even for myself, um, when I think about it. It messes with my mental well-being, because we always know, as you said, that, it's going to hit us hard like looking at Atlanta when or Georgia when they were opening up early it it was salons it was you know yes. barbershops it it felt like it were it was places that they knew specifically that um African Americans tend to um frequent you know frequent and so it reminded me a little bit of like oh wow this is like phase two or 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 Tuskegee Experiment 2.0. For um, sure. To see you know, it, how this thing is spreading, where what places are high and low risk, um, all by seeing how many African-Americans are, are infected by it, because there's a high population of them in, in, in Georgia, um, particularly in Atlanta. Yeah, it's,
1: it's this encouraged vulnerability, encouraged exposure, yeah. if you will, um to kind of test it out although no one's saying we're testing it out and so going back to the earlier question you had regarding the impact on folks of color and black folks is that you saw the community come together especially on social media is like yeah i better not go to those salons <laughs> you yeah, better, <not> <laughs> yeah, better not go and get your hair cut and get you know go to yeah. the, uh, get your nails done etc and so we're seeing the same thing as a response to the president and opening um, wanting to override the governors to open the churches. Right. We're seeing black churches and, and, and bishops and pastors and reverends saying, uh uh-uh, uh, we, we will come back into our house of worship when it is safe
0: right. for us to do so. Right. Which, which makes me really proud that we're seeing, um, you know, coming together as a community and seeing yeah. that, you know, we need to stick together. Not that everything's some grand conspiracy. Um, But that, you know, when we come together, we can really make a difference. And, um, you know. Yeah, we have to
1: look out for our health. Yeah. mental
0: health. Yeah, both our physical and mental health, right?
1: We do. We do Mm -hmm. because no one else is going to do that in quite the same way that we can do it for ourselves. And history repeats itself. Yep. And so we have to be aware of how this is another iteration of, like you said, Tuskegee and other things that have happened to our community. You mentioned AIDS, um, earlier. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to be be aware of what's going on.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Just, just the, the reason I had brought up the AIDS, HIV is because, um, as long as that has been around and the quality of medication that we have right now, um, african um, African American males who have sex with males and african American women still have the highest numbers and increasing Correct. Um, and uh, Correct. It, you know it has a, a bit of, to do with the um, stigma around homosexuality in the african American community but it also has to do with um, low sex education in those areas um, not as much funding um, and yeah, those are just one of those things that, at this point, we could essentially eradicate HIV, um, yet uh, people are still catching it as if though, you know, they know nothing about it. And every state is required to teach about HIV. Yeah. So it just makes me think of how long is this coronavirus gonna be around attacking and, and, and infecting our people and what kind of uh, education are we going to need around it how much more work do we have to do now to ensure that we're just you know we're not just expendable like this
1: yeah and that's why we have to do our own homework and our own research around this and not rely on a sole source or one entity relaying information to us right. to educate ourselves and for for me i was annoyed that they didn't start the testing in those communities before like why did you have to wait when you knew about disproportionality when you knew about disparity you knew about poverty levels like you already know that from zones within the county right. so how come testing centers weren't already there and why were they in only you know other communities so this goes back to that privilege and access and, and etc and who's expendable right so who can we hold off and wait and then trickle it over to those communities six, seven weeks later.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Then you have, uh, you know, you, even though I like them, uh, the governor Newsom coming out and saying that, you know, this is alarming, and we're like, really? I mean, we figured. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and how many testing sites do you even have in in these areas, and do people know about it? Um, and not to mention that. In that level of poverty, I'm mean, working in community health centers. The majority of uh, patients in community health centers are, are on Medicaid, and yeah. I work for an association of community clinics. And I knew that they did not have the test. Um, so, where were people living in these areas supposed to—both black and brown—where were they supposed to go to even get the test? So,
1: yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you where I think they should have gone. You know. There are dialysis centers on every other corner in certain communities. True. And I'm not saying inundate those who work at a dialysis center, but they're there. There are elementary schools. There are Mm -hmm. junior high schools, middle schools. There are high schools. There are recreation and parks. So there are places and location. I know they were using parks and recs for some um, shelters and stuff like that. So I I get that. But there were avenues and, and places that they could do it. And could have it there. Um, we have pharmacies, yeah, within within the community, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, etc. And so, you know, now that they're having more tests, that should be they should be there, yeah. right? They should be at these pharmacists,
0: etc. I mean, well, they you, you're right about the dialysis centers. The, I mean, I'm sure a majority of their patients are black Most and brown, mm-hmm. given our and, and people with core morbidity, um, you know, it, it is really um, dangerous for those with high hypertension and diabetes. And those are the, well, first off, most patients that we see in, in living at a certain level of poverty have both of those. Um, so it's Correct. like already a double whammy for them. And, you know, that that's why we thought these community health centers should have been one of the first spots to get these tests, because we had the, the highest, most vulnerable patients already who should yeah. have been tested first and being told to isolate first.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or mailing out testing kits yeah. for some of our populations who can't make it to different locations. Um, yeah. And so just like we do for absentee ballots, et cetera
0: so with with all this being said and and kind of coming to um wrapping it all up how do you think a younger person um and i'm i'm thinking of um, those in undergrad and graduate school um since we we you know we're both at at northridge um Mm -hmm. and we see them what, what would you suggest to some of the students that we see or some of our MSW students um, in regards to taking care of their mental health in the midst of all of this um, you know we were we were pondering about the future on this podcast right now just a bit even though we said sometimes it's not always good to do that so how are they supposed to you know cope with that what, what would be some suggestions what are some techniques um, to keep them? in good mental health, yeah. um, still focused on school because that's one of our main roles at Northridge is, is, is um, that achievement gap. Um, yeah, what, what, what can we do to help them succeed and keep their mental health strong?
1: I think one is to encourage them to have some type of social support or community, mm-hmm. right, and, and, and to reach out to their social support and community because it's easy just to, to fall into this whole and not interact and engage with folks. Um, The other one is to take it day at a a time, day by day, and also know that this is a wave, like we're riding it. It's rocky, it's choppy, but know that with this wave, we are gonna come out on the other end of this Mm -hmm. with uh, a new way of moving and being as, as people. Um, and know that more now than ever, whatever their major is, is important based on what we have gone through and what we are going through globally. And so maybe they can take some some solace in in knowing that, that it's gonna be needed. Mm -hmm. And this is informing their degree, informing their lens and what they're pursuing as undergraduate and graduate students, and that we are here to support reach yeah. out to their mentors, their faculty members, their advisors, et cetera, coaches, et cetera, to continue to receive that support um, throughout this time.
0: Yeah, that, that's huge to me. It's always just that reaching out and, and you know even just checking to see how someone is. And it, there's something to be said right. about when someone's like, I'm feeling real tense. And it's like, yeah, sure. me too um just and breathe. it yeah going back to sorry the, the,
1: the tips and tools and stuff breathe sometimes when we get stressed we tend to lock our mouths lock our jaws and not <laughs> breathe and so it's important just to sigh breathe exhale you know let it out go ahead you're going to feel different emotions we know now today more than we knew back in march and that's yeah. also important and so how we're using this to inform. And right now, it's how do we keep folks safe based on the information, the research that we have. Right. Thus far.
0: Right, right. Well, um, I think that was a uh, you know, hopefully good little chat there and um, hopefully you know, um, some interested folks and in, in wanting to talk more about mental health in the future. Um, This will be all things mental well-being. And um, thank you, Dr. Lipscomb. For sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we will try and get another one of these out in another week or so. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day weekend.